You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Let's get our Bibles open to Mark chapter 11 and pray you find a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, the seat in front of you does. And that's uh, yours to use. We're so glad if you would. Mark chapter 11. And with that, welcome to the house of prayer. To the house of prayer beginning on this Thanksgiving weekend. Indeed, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. But for the next four weeks, Lord willing, this month of October, we're taking a good look at this house. When I say this house, I mean this church. But I also mean the house that is made up of the believers in Jesus Christ. So this house is your heart. Your heart and my heart. Because that's the reality. We are temples of the Holy Spirit as we'll soon hear. And that means we make up the house of God. So, we're going to take a look at this house. You can view it as a home inspection, where the Holy Spirit is the home inspector. And he's going to be going row by row, aisle by aisle, and seat by seat starting today. Again, don't say I didn't warn you, all right? That's what he's doing, because he loves us. So, Holy Spirit's coming into your house, your marriage, your family, your church leadership, your pastor. He's coming into all our hearts right now. And he's going to go look around, he's going to inspect the home, and he's looking for one main thing. Is this house a house of prayer? The number one thing the Holy Spirit wants to find in our hearts, in our houses, our temples, is are we houses of prayer? And again, that is so true because the church is the house of God, the building of God, the bride of Christ, the family of God. We as individual temples of the Holy Spirit make up his church, his house. We are called to be a house of prayer. So we're going to see the next four weeks, and we're going to be seeking to know what it means biblically to be a house of prayer. And um, even as I start introducing this prayer series, some of us might be sitting there and saying, four weeks on prayer, really? Like, wh- why? Like, why prayer? Now that question, that very question, if it's being asked, reveals the absolute need. If there's anyone here right now and you're wondering, well, what's the big deal about prayer? That is the absolute essential need of the series right now. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. You're going to hear a lot of Spurgeon, by the way, throughout this series. uh, Simply because when it comes to preachers and fruitful men ever, like ever, it's like Jesus... Paul, like Jesus doesn't kind of go by himself. I, I totally understand that, okay? Like, but Paul and like George Whitfield and Spurgeon, like they're all, they're all kind of, they're like, like, like more fruitful men ever. And I can't get over how much men like Spurgeon believed and preached and lived prayer. Like some of the most gifted men ever. And yet they were so resolved to have churches built and lives built on prayer. Spurgeon said this, prayer is the grandest power in the universe. Hmm. Do you believe that to be true? Before you answer, before you answer, right? Prayer is the grandest power in the universe. Biblically, absolutely that is true. Here's the problem then. Why are so many of our prayer lives so Weak and honestly pathetic. Why? If prayer is the greatest power in the universe, then why are you and me then so often so futile in our prayer lives? That's what we got to figure out. I went around long enough and asked you the question about that is prayer and its power? Many, many, many of you, not all, but many of you would totally say that is so true. Then we have to, but then why the discrepancy between how we live and what we say we believe? 
That's what the Holy Spirit's coming to inspect right now upon our lives. Because think about it. Scripture tells us that prayer causes us to behold the glory of God, it unleashes the power of God, and it invites the strength of God. It is prayer that calls upon the Spirit of God, that trusts the sovereignty of God. Listen, it's prayer that moves the will of God. Prayer is our lifeline to God, our conversation with God, and our intimacy in God. Is there anything more precious in the life of a Christ follower than prayer, prayer to our holy God? Now some pastoral transparency right now, okay? I'm excited for this series, and one of the reasons I'm fired up about this series is because here it is, I need it. I'm first in line right now, so I'm going to be preaching a message that is serious and in some ways, very challenging and convicting. I'm trying to capture the heart of Christ himself in the passage today. It's what I'm often trying to do. Take, the, take the, the tone and the seriousness or what's happening in the past and then bring it to us so we feel it as well. Because I've had to sit in this all week and I'm feeling it myself. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm first in line for conviction right now. I've had to go through this for days now in study and prayer. God is revealing sin in my life. I, I, I want this. I need this. I know when I study this and I preach it and I have to live it, then I'm transformed by prayer. And I'm excited about that. It's happening already. I can feel a little trickle of living water kind of renewing my mind and filling my soul. But I'm praying the trickle of water turns into a life-giving river. And I'm praying the river goes right through the center of this place, man. A river of renewal, a river of repentance, a river of revival, a river of passion, a river of love for God, a river of, of, of a group of people that becoming a house of prayer in the need for the Lord Jesus Christ because that's just where we need to be. Yes, Lord Jesus, make this house, make our hearts houses of prayer. It's a serious thing, man. It's a serious thing. So many different situations right now and I just like, just trying to love you as much as I possibly can by telling you the truth. And, oh God, would you work in our hearts. So here's what I'm going to do. How do you say what we've said so far and, and not pray? So we've got to pray right now, obviously, okay? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for you. I want you to pray for the person beside you right now. I don't want you to pray for the person you wish that were here right now. I want you to pray for you. Here's what I want you to pray. Say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Like with all sincerity, Holy Spirit, would you teach me? Holy Spirit, would you change me? With this month of October, with this month, be Lord willing, the greatest month of transformation I've ever had in the area of prayer, maybe ever at all. Holy Spirit, would you do that? Like if, if, if we all pray that prayer right now, humble ourselves before the Lord. I'm gonna pray for me, and as I do that, I pray you will agree. You pray for you. Hey, hey, church, church, I'm not here to go through the motions, man. I'm not here to sing a couple of songs, open a Bible a little bit, say a couple of prayers, and then go home and eat lunch, okay? Thanksgiving dinner, yum, let's do it. I'm not here for that. Like, I, I didn't sign up to sit here and just kind of, we just kind of make each other feel good and then see how life goes. I'm here by the call of God to see lives change for the glory of God. I'm here not to waste my time and because, like, life's too short to do that too. If we're going to do this, let's see some lives change, okay? And that's a great spot for an Amen. All right, so here we are. Here we are as a church, and we're praying right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Father in heaven, I just mean what I've said, and I pray all of us do right now. Holy Spirit, where your life is, you put your life before the Lord right now. Humble yourself before him. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, transform me. Holy Spirit of God, I pray today you will encourage me. 
make me a house of prayer. Make this church a house of prayer. I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord. You must. Use this time now. Grip us in our hearts, Lord. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I know how many of us struggle in prayer. I know. I know because I know myself. But I pray you will bring revival. I pray that river of life will flow right down through this place. And many, many will drink from its stream and never be the same again. We pray this in faith, Lord, believing this from you. This is your will, 100%. So your will be done in Jesus' name. You agree? You can say amen. And those amens, remember, those amens, by the way, we're doing right now, mega spiritual warfare. You're going to see in our text today, okay? Again, again, don't allow yourself to fall asleep. Don't sit there and spiritually yawn through this. Whenever you're going to go after prayer, man, it's a battle. So the battle's on. Here we go. Why? Satan is terrified of a marriage that prays, a man that prays, a woman that prays, a child that prays, a pastor that prays, an elder that prays, a church that prays. He's terrified for the reason that we just saw in the video. Right now, right here, y'all, this is spiritual warfare. Here we go. Here we go. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be opposed. Just see it for what it is. This is not a game. We are not playing a game. This is, this is a serious, and you're going to see how Jesus, how serious he takes this house of prayer stuff as well. Mark 11, verse 15. Check it out. Mark 11, verse 15. Mark eleven fifteen. And they came, the disciples came to Jerusalem, and he, Jesus, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. Look at this. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Wow. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Who can do that? Jesus. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? Here we go. My house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. Notice the response. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Our sermon title is this. House of Prayer? It's a question. House of Prayer with a question mark. House of Prayer? Are we a house of prayer? Am I a house of prayer? Are you a house of prayer? Is your marriage a house of prayer? Is the leadership in this church a house of prayer? We're going to answer that question today. We're going, to, we're going to ask and answer that question, are we a house of prayer? Notice our context here. Jesus and his disciples come to Jerusalem. In verse 15 it says, and he, Jesus, entered the temple. Let's just stop right there. I love when scripture does this. I love how enlightening, how, how glorious, I love how powerful it is. Some of you are like, what are you talking about, man? I don't understand. Jesus enters the temple, ready? When you have your theology, the more you grow in God's word, the more you can see greater depths of the Holy Spirit's teaching you. When Jesus enters the temple, he is the temple. Jesus is the Lord of the temple. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is God. Jesus is the word of God, tabernacled among us. Jesus is the very presence of God in perfection. When he walks into the temple, he is the temple. No wonder in a few verses, Jesus says, my house. Because it literally is his house. 
He quotes a verse that is speaking of something that he entirely owns. My house shall be called a house of prayer. He owns the temple. He is the temple because he is God himself. And the Lord of the temple cares about his house. He loves his house. He is a few days away from dying for his house, his temple, his church. That's one of the things I want us to understand too. As we go through this text, right, we're applying it from the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament and the theology of Scripture as a whole. And some of you are like, well, what do you mean by that? Let me show you right here on the screen, okay? When you take a biblical theology of the temple or the presence of God, what we're doing is, I love when this happens, and the more you can get this, the more you'll be encouraged by it. You draw a thread from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is one book. This is one of the ways you can, there's many threads you can draw. The kingdom or the temple or the presence of God is one of the threads that you can take through God's word. So notice, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are enjoying the, the, the perfection or fellowship and, and harmony with God. There's no shame, there's no sin, the relationship is so sweet. But when sin enters in, in the Garden of Eden, it's called the fall, God's presence is interrupted. I remember teaching um, my girls from a children's Bible story, and they had this a vivid picture of when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, and there was the picture of Eden kind of on one side, but then the barren wilderness of the sin and the shame they were now carrying as the clothes were upon them, and they were, and they were, they were left, and they were cast out from the harmony of God's presence ongoing basis. It was, it, was, it was pretty vivid for myself and my girls. I remember I had that moment of like, whoa, sin is serious interrupts the present, grieves the Spirit of God. But notice, from the very moment that Genesis 3 happens, listen to this, God sets his plan in motion to restore his people to himself in his presence. See, the whole of Scripture is really telling that story of redemption and restoration. So this is why then he leads his people through the wilderness. They first build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was to contain the Shekinah glory of God and the holies of holies. The tabernacle was then turned to the temple, 1 Kings 6. Solomon builds the temple, again, to see the presence of God known among God's people within that one place, again, where the chief priest once a year would go and make atonement for the sins of God's people, but where the glory and the presence of God. Now listen. That is all there, but points ultimately to the perfection or fulfillment of the temple of God's presence, Jesus. When Jesus walks up and shows up on the scene and is born by Virgin Mary, Jesus now, he is God. Fully man, fully God. He is the perfection of God's presence. So in John 1.14 it says, And the word of God, Jesus, and the word of God has dwelt among us has become a dwelt among, dwelt in here is tabernacled among us. Totally picking up on this theology here. Also in John chapter 2, Jesus walks by with his disciples. He looks at the temple and he says, you can destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up again. And the, and, the, and, the, and the religious leaders get wind of this and they're furious. What do you mean? It took us decades to build this and you say you would build it? But then the text says, they did not realize that Jesus referred to his temple which was his body. Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven, but does not leave us on our own. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and now the presence of God, starting from the Garden of Eden, now the presence of God now dwells in all genuine believers in Jesus Christ. First Corinthians says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. 
Okay? And the book of Revelation says when we get, to, we get to the end and we're in new heavens and new earth and the new city of Jerusalem and all that happens, the temple is not needed because we are there in the perfection of God and his glory and his son Jesus Christ and there's no need for son because then we are perfectly fulfilled in all that we desire to live for. All that to say when Jesus walks into his temple, man, there's a lot going on. When Jesus walks into his temple, he is passionate about his house And ultimately for us, his house is us. His house is this. And he's serious about his house. To be a house, listen, a house of prayer. That's his passion and purpose, and that must be our passion and purpose as well. So, by following in the example of Jesus, how do we become a house of prayer? That's the question we're asking and answering. We have three answers to that question today by God's word. How do we become a house of prayer? The first answer to that question is this. Number one, Jesus must clean house. If you want to become, if I want to become a house of prayer, he must clean house. Jesus must clean house. Look at verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and Jesus entered the temple and began to clean house, to drive out those who sold, those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the seats of those who sold pigeons and would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. What is Jesus doing here? Why does he take such drastic action? Okay, learn, listen, don't miss this. The reason Jesus takes such drastic action is because he is attacking the heart of hypocrisy. If you want to incite the righteous anger of Jesus, then do one thing, say one thing as a religious shell, especially in his name, but then live a whole nother way and live a double life. And even do it at the, at the benefit of yourself to bring reproach on his name. You do that, you will incite the righteous anger of Jesus. This is what he's so grieved by. His house has become a sham. It's a spiritual fraud. It's extortion. That's what's going on in the temple when Jesus walks in. The temple was set apart for God's glory. It had been turned into a lucrative business and filled with scandal. So what would happen is the religious leaders are in the temple and they're selling items for worship. But they're, they're, they're literally, it's just a form of extortion over the people coming in. For example, let's put it in our terms and our kind of monetary values. Let's say a pigeon mentioned here or a dove. Outside the temple, you could buy a pigeon, let's say, for four bucks. Inside the temple, they were selling it for 75. It's extortion. It's robbery. It kind of reminds me of my last trip to Starbucks. <laughs> I, I, I went to Starbucks, man, and I was like, I got a good juice, and it was like small. And I went up, and thank you, sir, that'll be $7. I'm, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? No, no I, I didn't want a case of juice. I just wanted one. And it's like, again, the size of a shot glass or something, right? I know, sir, that'll be $7. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, it's amazing in our day, sometimes you feel like there's extortion all over the place, man. You go around and you say, where are these prices going? And this is ridiculous. No emails about Starbucks, okay? Don't, don't send me any emails about Starbucks. I'm trying to unnecessarily offend you, all that kind of stuff, whatever. I'm officially off topic. Let's get back on topic now. Here we go. As Jesus walked into the temple, the things he would have seen, extortion and courtesy exchange, a false sense of worship, livestock, animals everywhere, huge lines preparing for the Passover, huge commotion, noise, traffic, total chaos. Anything but a house of prayer. 
One commentator said that the court of the Gentiles, which is the part of the temple this was taking place in, the court of the Gentiles was a huge religious circus. No, 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 watch what Jesus does here. The verbs in verse 15 and 16, Jesus enters, he drives out, he overturns tables and seats, and does not allow anyone to carry anything. You know the phrase? He came, he saw, he conquered. That's our Savior in this text. This is meek and mild, gentle Jesus. Not this time. He's, remember, I mean, have you seen tables overturned before? That's a pretty violent act. Like, if you're in a room and someone overthrows a table, like, that sets the whole, whoa, 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 what's going on over there, man? That's a massive disturbance. That's what our Savior's doing. He walks into his house and he starts turning, flipping over tables, sending seats flying, driving people out who are buying and selling. Amazing. You know, Jesus in this text, he is four days away from his death and he walks into his house. He sees, he hears, and what he smells grieves his spirit. And this is where he decides to take action. Listen, in our text here today, this is where the, the Lamb of God becomes the Lion of Judah. This is where the lion starts to roar. And I want you, I want you to hear his roar. His roar is, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the one message he wants to send in the midst of what's happening. And this whole scene reminded me of a text message one of my pastor friends sent me a number of months ago. It says this, if anyone ever asks you what would Jesus do, remind him that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> Again, remember, like, so often we characterize Jesus as just like just gentle, meek, mild. Like, yes, yes, he is all those things, yes, but he's also this. And by the way, you think, what's the whips from? The whips, that happened in John chapter 2. For sure, there were two temple clearings in Jesus' ministry. One that began his ministry, this one, the one that ends. Isn't that interesting? The book ends of Jesus' ministry. He goes in, cleans house in both cases and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He is so serious about his house being intended for its use and where it should be. He's so serious about you and I doing the same. Notice this also, loved ones. What is Jesus doing? This is such an important point. What is Jesus doing when he moves into the temple and overturns tables? He's doing this. Ready? He's purging sin. That's his concern. Why is he purging sin? He's purging sin to pave the way for prayer. Look at how serious Jesus is about sin. Why? Because sin, without a doubt, sin is the greatest hindrance to our prayer lives. Is there a greater hindrance to prayer in our lives than sin cherished in our hearts? Sin is the blocker of our fellowship with God. Sin is the demolisher of our peace from God. Sin is the promoter of darkness over our lives. Sin is the enemy of purity. It's the catalyst for hypocrisy. It's the destroyer of intimacy and prayer to God. Sin blinds us. Sin deceives us. Sin destroys us, if not disables us. Think about this. Could it be then, listen, listen, listen. Could it be then that the reason our prayer lives are so weak is because our love for sin is so strong? just want us to think about that for a second, man, because I, I think there's a lot to that. 
You know, we go around and we see the lives of prayers within believers, and then it's just, it's just so paltry. All the stats say that. Why? At the end of the day, is it because our prayer lives are so weak because our love for sin, our love for other things is so strong? It reminds me of a quote here from John Piper I've used before, but it's so perfect for right now. He said this, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Wait, 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 Robbie, are you, are you telling me that like Facebook, Twitter, and I don't even know what half of these even mean, by the way, but I know some of them. Facebook and Twitter are then sinful? Mm, mm, can be. Not in themselves, but if Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, if these things are making your house of prayer become a house of chaos and a house of confusion, and a house of temporal obsession, and a house of just wasting time hour by hour, then yes, absolutely, it is sinful. It is a tool that has been used to ruin the house of prayer and turn it into a house of whatever, impurity and chaos. So yes, these things absolutely can be used to create sinful patterns and tendencies that are ruining our relationship with God. And Jesus comes in and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of social media insanity. That's what he's saying. I want you to see something else too. I want you to look at Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Just a few verses back. This is the day before Jesus enters into the temple in our passage. Notice what happens. Mark 11, verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, watch this, and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, isn't that interesting? It's almost like a recon mission here. And it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. Jesus goes in. He surveys the situation. The next time he enters, cleans house. Jesus does that to us too, doesn't he? There's no sin that can hide from the Lord. He sees all. And he loves us too much to let us go and to ruin ourselves. Jesus walks into our houses sometimes and says, enough with the distraction, enough with the idolatrous devotion, enough with the division of heart. And you know what? Jesus, is, he loves us enough to come into our lives and turn over tables too. In fact, can you think of a time when Jesus has walked into your life, my life, and he has flipped over tables because he loves us so much that he won't let us keep getting away with the sinful patterns that are destroying our relationship with him? I mean, think about that. He loves you enough. He will walk into your... And listen, listen. You're here right now, man. And there's situations here right now. There are sinful situations that are incredibly grieving to the Holy Spirit of God. There are people here right now, man, that you are living two lives. Absolutely. There are habits that if they were made clear would be absolutely appalling not only to you but to all who loved you and especially to the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus is saying to you and to me today, I love you too much to not at some point walk in, flip over the tables to pave the way that my house would be claimed for what it actually is, a house of prayer. He loves us too much. He's done that in the past and what he's telling us is he'll do it again. He'll do it again because he loves you and me. We must clean house, loved ones. We must see Jesus clean house 
if we are going to be houses of prayer. He is so passionate about your heart and mine. He gave his life for your heart and mine. He died for your heart and mine. And your heart and mine are his if we belong to him. We must clean house. The second answer to the question, how do we become a house of prayer, is this. We must then commit our house. You've got to clean the house, and then you've got to commit the house. Look at verse 17. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Notice here, Jesus overturns the tables. That's shocking. Now he teaches Watch this in Scripture. Jesus, his ministry is always, there's first conviction, then conversion. Identifies the sin and then begins to teach. He says here, it is written. Jesus loves the Word of God. He loves the Old Testament. He quotes directly here from Isaiah 56. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's interesting. Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel omit the phrase of all nations. Commentators speculate they did that to heighten the importance on prayer. Jesus cares most, the Lord cares most about prayer. The very place was to be dedicated for prayer and for the love of God had been turned into a religious carnival. You know what what really burdens Jesus' heart here? What if someone actually came into the temple and actually wanted to seek the Father? They would be immersed into a sea of human chaos and confusion. The antithesis of sincere religious devotion. It grieves them so much. I've heard many stories over the course of 15 years of ministry here of people that God has been working in and they sincerely desire to seek the Lord and they just go all they know. They just walk into some church somewhere. But they go to some church and they tell the story. They basically walked into the house of Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. There's no prayer. There's no gospel. There's no Bible. There's no Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, it's not the Lord. And they're, but they're trying to seek the Lord. And they walk into a place completely devoid of anything of Christ. That's why I'm so glad God is sovereign. I'm not. Because he cares for these individuals. And he leads them eventually to places, a place of sincerity and truth. And the gospel and prayer. And the word of God and true devotion. That they may be equipped and blessed and discipled in, 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 in God's word. This is what's happening within our context. God's house had been severely polluted. And Jesus is like, enough, man, enough. And loved ones, think about this too. This is when the program can never come before the presence of the Lord. In our church right now, there's so many things going on, right? So many ministries. I find myself wanting to ask and encourage my staff team to ask too, is not what's the next ministry we can start? I want to ask the, ask the question, what's the ministry that needs to end? Because if we just start spinning plates and running around like chickens with our head cut off, we're so busy doing ministry and miss the minister of Christ himself, I'm out. If we miss Christ in the process of trying to do work for Christ, there's no point. That's why this series is upon us right now. If you lose the foundation, you lose everything. And I just encourage you, in our lives, we're so busy with what? With what? 
I'm first in line, loved ones. I'm first in line, man. All these questions right now. It's, I'm, I have to go through it first. And I gladly am. With what? If we lose out on the heart of prayer for the Lord, if we don't even know what this means, then we are losing out on everything that is most precious to us and our relationship with our Savior. Jesus says, man, from Isaiah 56, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Then he quotes Jeremiah 7. He says, but you have made it a den of robbers. And what he means by that? Uh, all the commentators agree the den is a hiding place, a cave for thieves. So the chief priests and the scribes, they were using the temple as a cover for their sin. You want to make Jesus mad? Do that, man. Again, take his name, use it, but really what you're doing is you're pursuing selfish ambition and your own entitlement and promotion and greed and abuse of the people around you. That will get you in a lot of trouble. That's what's happening here within our context. So all the activity, all the running around, all the busyness, but is there devotion and sincerity of heart? I want you to see this up once too. Again, we say it all the time in this church, man. It's so close to our hearts. What does the Lord want from you more than anything? Your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart. Because when he has your heart, he has your everything. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, that's why no man is greater than his prayer life. No woman is any greater than their prayer life. Because it's the life of prayer that indicates the heart of devotion to the Lord. God wants your heart. He wants my heart. When he has our heart, he has everything. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Feel the seriousness and the severity. The line of Judah throws it down, and he says, I declare and commit my house to be a house of prayer. Now, I want you to make this personal right now. Every genuine believer here in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you right now. If you are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, what Jesus says right now, he says, man, I bought you. And rightly, he says, I own you. You're mine. I have purchased you with my blood. And he says, I, I, I want you to feel this as I want to feel it too. He looks upon your life. If you're alive in Jesus Christ and he says, I declare your heart, your life, your temple to be a house of prayer. You are a house. Jesus says, you are my house of prayer. Receive that right now for where you are. You're alive in Jesus Christ? Then your life is to be a house of prayer. Jesus says that, you're mine, you're mine. And you are not to be a house of impurity and not to be a house of idolatry, not to be a house of insane busyness. You are to be a house of prayer because he loves you so much and he wants to bless you so much and he wants to bless you with himself so much. That's powerful. That's what Jesus is doing over us, even right now. And I want you to know, too, and you just, we think about this, right? We get our theology right. This is his declaration over us. So the question is, the question is this. How's your house of prayer? How's your house of prayer? I want to encourage you, okay? I want to encourage you. Um, as I asked that question to myself this week, I wasn't led to pat myself on the back. Way to go. Way to go, pastor boy. In fact, I was led to Repentance. And you know what, too? I want to encourage you with this, too. Repentance, um, repentance, I don't shy away from. I love it. Some of the best moments of growth in my entire spiritual life has been times of deep repentance and brokenness and grieving over my sin because that is when I sense the water and the, and the living water and the grace of God flood my soul because God works in those who know they need him. 
Repentance ushers in God's grace. The broken spirit is what God draws close to. So I'm just trying to lead by example right here too. This is true in my heart. God, show me my sin. I want to see it because I want to get closer to you. And whatever's blocking me from you and blocking your presence in my life, it might hurt, it will hurt, but you love me. You love me. You're not going to be harsh with me. You're not going to wag your finger at me in disgust. You, you welcome and invite me to greater intimacy. And one of the greatest things that happens is when I come clean with my sin and clean the house and commit my house to be a house of prayer, then you experience the overwhelming beauty and satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's leading me to repentance. I pray he would lead you to the same. There's a lot that needs to change in my life and a lot that I'm hoping will change, even now again. To see the fire of prayer grow and grow and grow. Tend to clean our house and commit our house. And just in case you don't have enough conviction yet, let me put one more quote by Spurgeon here up on the screen. It's very, it's very powerful and telling. He says this, A prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. A prayerless church member is a hindrance. For example, do you know that not one pastor who falls, not one records and stats show, have a vibrant prayer life? Not one. Not one leader who falls apart and blows out of ministry has had a vibrant prayer life. Not one. Not one marriage that has fallen apart in terms of the individual who is acting in sinful behavior. The person who's displayed sinful behavior has never demonstrated a genuine, fired up walk with Jesus Christ in prayer. Why? Because you can't do that and do that. You can't be so close to Christ and filled by his spirit and a house of prayer and then go do the opposite of what God wants you to do. But when you leave the intimacy with God, when you have no prayer life, when you're not in his word, when you're not close to the Lord, well, of course you get to the point where you start to fall apart because you no longer have God's grace or strength within you. That's why in this place, man, we can't have spectators. We need family members. And honestly, that's why people leave this church too. They just want to go somewhere where it's easier. Where they don't hear messages like this, to be honest. They want to go places where they don't hear what Jesus actually said in his... Remember, remember, I'm just telling you what Jesus said, right? I always want to tell you that. I'm just trying to convey to you the reality of what's being put down here by Jesus. And how serious he is that we are a house of prayer because he just wants to love us and bless us. Man, if we, if we take this up together, listen, I need you to help me in this. You need me to help you in this. All together in this, man. Who knows what God will do? Who knows? But you start to dream. To clean our house and commit our house. Amazing. So one of the things I want to do just is to give some practical ways that you can grow in prayer. And we're going we're gonna to be doing this a lot throughout this series, okay? We're going to combine, again, the heavily 
theological, but also the practical. Some of you are like, man, I don't even know where to start. And we'll help as we go along. By the way, on our website, we have a whole prayer, House of Prayer resource page. If you go online, it's going to be added to as we go along. There's things on it right now. Uh, this slide should be up there for you right now, and other things, articles and books. We have a book list if you want to grow in prayer. It's such a powerful way. But here's some practical ways to grow in prayer. Things I like to do and many others. Pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Do you know what you could do? You could, you could pick up Mark 11 right now, and you could just read through it on your own. You could out loud start to pray these things. Lord Jesus, would you clean my house? Lord Jesus, would you show me the areas? Just like these money changers, Lord, am I like that at all? Where do you want to, oh God, I pray that you would. And then you go through there and you see the reality of commit my house. Oh Lord, I want my house to be a house of prayer. We pray for my wife. I mean, it's so easy to take God's word and start to pray it. I was in Psalm 91 this morning. I was in Philippians 1 today. And you take these, I'm watching Paul and he's like actually mentioning prayer, prayer and more prayer and pray for me and all this prayer and we're partners in the gospel. And just like, it's just you take God's word when I read it and you start to pray it. You start to pray it as you read it. It's powerful, and you get two things done in one. Don't waste grace. What does that mean? When you're saying grace at the table over dinner, don't waste it. You can, you know, spell out the Christianese and, and whatever you might have the phrases that come to mind, whatever. I mean, if it's really sincere to you, awesome. That's amazing. At my dinner table, sometimes, sometimes, but I'm there, and I start to lean in a little bit and pray for my kids, and when I'm done, and kids are like, wow, Dad, that was long. <laughs> and I'm like, get over it. Right? Right? But it's amazing to say, well, I want the, I, well, some, of the, some, of the, some of the best advice I got of, of prayer and your kids that I read in a book was let your kids hear you praying for them with anguish. Oh, man. I got to do that more. Just as I said it, I've done it. I got to do it more, though. Like, God, let your sons hear you cry out to God for their salvation and growth and protection. And what did that do for us? Oh, man, that's just, God, lead us in that by your spirit. Here's a, here's a great principle. When you wake up, knees hit the floor first. I'm not perfect at this. Need to get better at that. Have good seasons, bad seasons. I did it this morning. First thing that happens, you fall to bed, knees hit the floor. Even for 10 seconds, Lord, here's my day. Take it, lead it, guide it. Even if you're like half asleep and can barely walk as it is. And just say, Lord, I just, I need you to take my day in Jesus' name. Better than nothing, man. A prayer walk. My wife and I are trying to do this more. That was some of the advice. We've had a wonderful, you know, man and woman of God come to our lives and just really encourage us. Go for a prayer walk together. We're trying to do that. We're getting started. I went for a prayer walk this morning out there in just the early morning and just walking down, praying for you, praying for this, asking for the Lord to help, all these things. It was so neat, man. I was kind of in my prayer walk, and all of a sudden this guy was running beside me, and he stops, turns around. He's one of the great friends from this church, and he's out running, and we ended up walking together for a couple of kilometers. It was such a blessing. See, it's good to get out and walk. <laughs> prayer journal, prayer book. We're going to have a list of books on prayer. When my prayer life is, like, stagnant, I will often pull out a chapter of books I know I have that have been used in the past. I will read them, just like some of these quotes even here this weekend, like where I get these things from. I read that, and it just, it just does some wonders to me. Because I, I know it's true, and I'm reminded of what's true, and spurred on to pray in a way that it's true. A prayer journal. I've kept a journal since I was saved. Sometimes it's several times a month. Sometimes it's several times a week. To record, to reflect, to write down verses, to pray, to just write out what the Lord's saying to you. It's a powerful principle and discipline that God uses and blesses. Here's the great thing. For this series, here's the challenge. During this series, my challenge, our challenge to you to meet all of us together, is that you would pray with someone or for someone 
once every time you come into a church on a weekend. For some of you, that's like a major challenge. For some of you, that's a practice you already do. But wouldn't it be awesome you come into church, and before I leave this place, I'm going to pray with someone or for someone, and I'm going to trust the Lord. Lord, you lead me to the point where I can pray for someone before I leave. For this month, this month of prayer, this series on prayer, how great would that be? And this obey impulse thing, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, never refuse the impulse to pray. You know you're in a conversation with someone, you're sitting there and they tell you something, their hearts, whatever, and inside you're like, I should pray for them, I should pray for them. But then you let it go and they walk away and then you're there, whatever. But then in that moment though, just like if you just obey it and say, can I just pray for you? Just even 30 seconds. Can I just pray for you? Right there, right there, there it is. The Holy Spirit says like, you should pray and don't refuse it, grab onto it. Of course, we've been talking about this week and something I've done this week as well. Never refuse the impulse to pray. More to come on that. Want to become a house of prayer, clean house, commit our house, and then thirdly, finally, and briefly this, we must protect this house. If you're an Under Armour fan, you're like, yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're just, never mind. All right. Verse 18. Verse 18. Watch the reaction to Jesus throwing down the house of prayer. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished. Um, at his teaching. How's that for a response to prayer, right? Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Chief priests and scribes, kill him! Destroy him! Don't want to over-spiritualize this verse, but I, I want to give it all the weight it's worth. We saw that video again. You're going to become serious about being a house of prayer? You get ready for the opposition, man. Jesus says, my temple, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The next thing his opponents want to do is to destroy him and kill him. Satan is not afraid of some home that never prays, some marriage that never prays, some pastor, elders, church that never prays. He's not afraid of that. He's terrified of people who take prayer seriously. He's terrified of a church that meets to pray, to seek the Lord, to call upon him. Loved ones, that's why prayer is so hard. I want to say, I find prayer hard too. It's a battle every day. You know how many times I have the thought, I should pray for my kids or pray for my wife, and all of a sudden the battle starts raging within. You're like, what in the world? And you're there because it's a spiritual battle. Jesus, my house will be called a house of prayer. Kill him! Just a reflection on the seriousness with both sides, good and evil, take prayer. It's a spiritual battle. That's why we pray, man, the, the prayer fire is being so, Holy Spirit, throw logs on the prayer fire. Help us to be so serious about this. 